turn to Mark 1.35. The title is The Devotional Life. And Mark 1.35, this is what it says. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, that's Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word today. Lord, everyone in this room, Lord, you love them so much. If they'd been the only person on the face of the earth, you would have sent Jesus to die on the cross just for them because that's how much they mean to you. Lord, the enemy of their soul wants to convince them that they're worthless, that their life has no meaning, no future, nothing to, to gain. Those are all lies from the pit. Lord, you conquered Satan's sin, demons, the grave, and hell on the cross, and you're here today to bring that same good news that heaven wasn't complete with everyone in this without everyone in this room and you want that message of hope and joy to pour into hearts today so lord help me get out of the way lord i'm not here to make people laugh but to point them to jesus and if we have fun on the way then praise god but would you open our eyes like david said to see wonderful things in your law today for your glory and in jesus name and all god's people said amen, amen. what's the best meal you've ever had think about it for a second hold it in your mind Count to three, we're going to shout it out on three. The best meal you've ever had. Here we go, one. I love it, somebody already shouted out. There's a three count. Um, here we go, ready? One, two, three. Okay, whoever said McDonald's, see me after. That's really sad. Your wife right now is going, really? Really? Okay. <laughs> it was a rough month, honey. Okay, so we all, we all can think of a great meal we've had. I think we would all agree, though, not every meal we have is a 10 out of 10, right? I mean, there's some meals that are like a 3 out of 10. I know my wife, whenever she leaves her somewhere, can, there's, can there's got to be some husband that knows what I'm talking about. When you're, if your wife ever leaves, does she do this? Does she say on the way out the house, hey, sweetheart, don't worry. I've made all these meals. They're in the fridge and the freezer. Does anyone have a wife like that that does that? I made meals for you. You can eat these meals. Okay, my wife, she's like, there's all these vegan meals. And then we wave, me and the kids, and then as soon as the door closes, we're like, pizza! And we order pizza. <laughs> Anybody done that ever? Come on, thank you. It's like confession hour here. I see that hand. Okay, you. And tears. Okay. Anyway, so that's how it is. But not every meal is a 10. But, you know, if you don't remember everything you eat, you don't stop ever and go, well, what's the point? I don't remember it. You don't go into some deep, dark night of the soul over meals that weren't good. You just move on to the next meal. You don't say, what's the point? I'm not going to eat anymore. One lady decided to write the columnist, Dear Abby. She said, I've decided to quit my church. See, because for 30 years, I can't remember a single sermon. The columnist was smart enough to write back these words. Dear writer, I've also decided to quit eating because for 30 years I can't remember a single meal. I think you get the point. Just because not everything is a 10 out of 10, we don't stop eating. And when we're talking about the devotional life, it's the same thing. What happens is there's an ebb and flow in your life. Some days you're up, some days you're down. Some seasons you're just rocking it, aren't you? You're like, nothing could go wrong. And then other seasons you're like, everything's going wrong. Just shake your, nod your head or give me a hand in the air if you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, your life is like mine. We have ups and downs. Catch me on a down day and it's all just going 
down the river, down the drain. Catch me on an up day and, you know, I'm like, Jesus, don't come back yet because everything's too good right now. <laughs> what we're talking about is this thing called the devotional life. It has many names. Some of you call it devotions. Some of you call it devos. I think that's a Canadian word. You guys use devos here? Anybody? Yeah. Is it? Hey, awesome, man. All right. You watch YouTube. Okay, listen. There's quiet time, prayer time, Bible time. But the devotional life through the Bible is most associated with food, with feeding your soul spiritual meals. Now let's carry on with that scenario. I want to fix in your mind this idea. Picture a table, if you will, somewhere in your house. Okay, <laughs> single young adults are like, I have a condo or an apartment, whatever. Okay, but someplace, there's a table. It's got a white tablecloth. There's fine china on that table. There's two place settings. Across from you is a person. He's in a tuxedo. It's Jesus. I'm making this up. Yes, but he's in a tuxedo. He's dressed to his finest. And he's waiting to meet you every single morning at this table to share in fellowship, to share in relationship. He waits there, if you will. How excited are you if that was true? Now, every day he is there without fail to meet you. And the question we want to ask about the devotional life is, are you coming, arriving, expectant to meet him, to have relationship, to talk with him? Friends, I believe the number one cause of decline in the modern church and in a believer's life is a lack in their devotional life. In this thing, we talk about times of prayer, times of the word, times of fellowship, sitting, meeting with Jesus, I think is the number one problem. And this is important to talk about today. Why? Here's why it's important. Because we have books coming out today from like the emergent church called Sacred Pathways that go to great lengths to tell you that prayer and Bible reading, well, that's just one way or two ways to connect. And that's called the traditional pathway. But we should have less emphasis on that because there's eight other spiritual pathways you can connect to God through. And what they're doing in our own backyard, I don't know if you're aware of this, in your Christian bookstores and online, what they're doing in your own backyard is they're downsizing the Word of God in prayer. They're downsizing the devotional life. And this idea of meeting with Jesus is just one of several ways, and it's not even the best way. In fact, they've given it the term traditional style. Well, traditional doesn't have a great connotation on a university campus. You don't go to a university campus and start a club called traditional anything, right? It's sort of a down, depressing word. Well, that's what they're trying to do today. So the word of God, the devotional life is under attack. But I want to just say it right now. I hope you believe this. I do. You will never be greater than your prayer life. You will never be greater than your times with Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. You will never be greater than the fellowship you develop at this table of the Lord with Jesus daily. That is the key, I believe, to the Christian life. The Bible says my word will not return void. Just about every other venue in life, every other adventure or avenue can or will return void. Some of you have checks returning void today, don't you? You're like... Do you, do you use that term here? Return? No, okay, that's Canadian. Scratch that for later. The Bible says this about itself. It will go out and accomplish that which it's been sent to do. 
It is one of the few things on planet Earth that makes promises and fulfills them every time. Jesus does the same. But it does something every time you come to it, whether you feel it or not. Just because it doesn't always hit you or it's not always a 10. Some people are like, I don't know why I'm in the book of Numbers. I'm not getting much out of it. Well, <laughs> it's understandable, right? I mean, when you get into the begets, do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Johnson who begot Abraham who begot. Yeah, that's not... Nobody shares that in a coffee with a friend after the day. Oh, the begets are rocking me. Okay, and I understand that. I understand that. But the truth is, the word doesn't return void. It's still doing something. And you don't quit eating. That wouldn't be smart. Jesus says, I have a food that goes to everlasting life. That's the food that we want, church. And he knew the importance of this time with the Father. In Mark 1.35, he says, In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Three things about that verse. Number one, it's in the morning. Number two, he got away. And number three, he got alone and met with God. Now, I know how it is. Some of you in here, if we asked, Hey, how's your devotional life? How's your time with Jesus? He'd say, Well, Joel, you know, I have, I have three kids. They're over me all the time. They climb on me. They interrupt me. So I, I can't do the devotional life. And look, I have four kids, and so I understand that. But did you know that John Wesley, let's pick someone from your country, John Wesley, did you know his mom had 10 kids? And do you know she used to have her quiet time? Do you know how she did it? She would pull her apron over her head. That was her quiet time. Okay, ladies, I just want to say that. It's like, there's no excuse, right? She had her apron over her head, and the 10 kids would mostly know, oh, mom's in her quiet time place. That's how she did devotions. So we think of all the excuses in the world, but the bottom line is, are we taking the time to get away with, the God, with God? Because, friends, God wants to meet you. He wants to meet with you. This is not some legalistic, you should do this. When I share the picture of the table, some of you go, oh, that's right, I should do that more. You're missing it. It's, I get to do this. It is a privilege to come and meet with Almighty God every morning and have Him speak into your life and you speak to Him and share with Him. It's not like, some of you, you, you take the impression of your own father and you go, well, that's what Jesus is like. So since my dad, whenever I let him down, would snap or lose it, well, then Jesus is just like, oh, fine. They didn't show up and he's flipping tables and he's like, fine. That's not it. Jesus, I think, each day goes, I'm so excited to see, fill your name in there, this girl, this, my, my daughter, my son. And then when you're not there, it's like, Okay, tomorrow, I'm so excited to meet them again. That's the picture I want to put in your mind today. God is not after just devotions as a duty, but he is after your devotion. There's a difference. He wants your passion and your love, and he's there and excited to meet with you. And what happens a lot of times is people will impose their sort of worldview towards God and what they think is going on in the devotional life to how they should meet with God. And so they either go, well, I'm not going to meet with God or I'm going to meet selfishly with God. And then they don't get what they want. So they go, what's the point? Let me give you an example. I've got a Bible. Turn to 37, Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. Is an example to me why people don't meet with God or why they come to God selfishly and wonder why it's not working. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Show of hands, who's heard of this verse? Anybody? Heard of this verse? Pretty famous verse. 
We love to quote it, like delight yourself in the Lord who give you the desires of your heart. Did you know that most often this verse is wrongly translated, or if you will, exposited or explained? And what is that? I believe there's a progression in how people translate or understand this verse. The first way is this. If I come to God, I will get what I want. That's how people think. They're like, okay, I should do devotions, obligatory, and so I'll come and I'll meet with God because Psalm 37, 4 says, if I do that, then I get this. It's contractual. Have you done this with God? You're like, okay, I guess I'll come here because you said you'll give me what I want, the desires of my heart, so here I am. Do you see the problem with that? Right? So some guy will be like, Lord, I prayed for that sports car. Where is it? Or I prayed for that girl. I even told you her hair color. What gives? How come? Right? And it's contractual. The second way people, uh, which is a little more mature, but you can still see the problem with it, translate, or if you will explain this verse, is if I delight myself in him, almost like I have to trick myself into delighting myself in the Lord, then as a byproduct, I will get the things I want. Do you see that? You see the breakdown there? That's what people do. They're like, well, because the verse says it, I still get what I want, so I'll try really hard to delight. But they're still in the back of their mind having their own desires as the goal for meeting God in his word in the morning and in prayer. Here's the real approach to devotions and to God. I go to him not on the basis of what I want, but on the basis of relationship and who he is. On the basis of him. And then this amazing thing happens, church. He does give me the true desires of my heart. Please hear me. He does give you the true desires of your heart. And it's actually him. It was him all along. Did you know I truly believe that? Anytime I meet a non, I'm an evangelist, so anytime I meet a non-Christian, I truly believe the true desire of their heart is Jesus. I really believe that. They're like, they can argue with me, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in debate about this or whatever. But I truly believe the real desire of their heart is Jesus. That the enemy of their soul has duped them, just like he duped me. And when the lights came on and the blind was lifted, I went, oh my goodness. We're all being duped. we got to figure this out together. So he is the real desire of your heart. And so sometimes you think your satisfaction, please hear me, sometimes, some of you in this room, not all of you, you more mature ones, you can shut off for this part. But some of you in here, myself included at times, sometimes you think your satisfaction is determinant on getting what you want out of life. But what if you've been duped? What if you've been fooled, conned? What if that's something the enemy of your soul uses to get you away from God? Truly think about it. There's something that you want right now, if you think it through. In our society, well, if I just had this, I'd be happy. And if I just got this, I'd be happy. This car, this job, this person, this will provide the happiness in my life. And so you pursue that because you think this will be the thing that brings true satisfaction. Ask anyone that got the thing they said was true satisfaction, and they'll tell you they've already moved on to the next thing, right? Who here really badly, come on, be honest now, I'm a show of hands guy, here who really badly wanted a certain car and then you got it. Let's be honest. Anybody in here, you wanted a certain car? Well, that's really sad. There's a whole church of people here that are like, I never got the car. Okay, let's, let's switch sermons here. Let's deal with frustration. Um, find a new verse. But that sometimes happens and we, we don't realize that God in actuality says, I won't just give you the desire of your heart, I'll give you better ones, not selfish ones. 
I'm going to give you proper desires. I change your desires as you come to me so that you see your desires truly me. Where is this illustrated in the Bible? If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 6. I'll show you. I think there's no place in Scripture that perhaps more perfectly illustrates this problem of how we approach God than John chapter 6. The crowds following Jesus after he fed 5,000. So he gave them all bread. Think about this. 5,000 people were fed exactly what they wanted. They got what they wanted. They were all satisfied. They ate bread to the full, the Bible says. So you think, being us, you think, like them, we'd be like, oh, great. I got everything I need. I'm good, right? Well, let's check it out. John 6, 30 says this. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Did you catch that? He just fed them food, 5,000 of them. And then someone pops their hand up and goes, hey, could you do a trick? Could you give us something that we want so that we believe in you? Is that human nature? Is that us? Lord, you gave me this. Awesome. Okay, now I want this. I go from want to want. Isn't it fun, parents watching little kids? Little kids, you just put them in a room, they go from want to want, right? That's what they do. They're like, oh, I want this toy. Nope, now I want to hit this kid. Now I want this toy. Like, that's how kids are, right? Parents, come on. And here's what they're basically saying. How do we get free food? Hey, I want to follow you, Jesus, but only if you give me the desire of my heart. Free food. Now catch this, please. If you've got a pen, jot this down. This may apply to you today. They didn't really want Jesus for Jesus. They wanted Jesus for what he would do for them. Did you hear that? They didn't want Jesus for Jesus. They just wanted a genie in the bottle. Like we all kind of do sometimes. Like if I just, if I had a million dollars. That's what they wanted. They came to Jesus and asked him to produce what they wanted, but they didn't really want him. Anyone busted by that? I am. Because sometimes I do that. Hey, Lord, it's me. I need a new car. I need you to change my wife's attitude. Uh, never mind. Grow my hair back. You know, like there's all these things that I want. I'm like, do you ever pray for that too? Your pastor and I have been confused for each other at Creation Fast, but sometimes. But uh, yeah, sometimes I'll be like, Lord, just grow my hair back. You did it for Samson. Lord, do it again. Um, but the Lord's like, what about me, Joel? Is it always about what you want? Is it always the next? What about relationship? Verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. John 6, 31. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Did you catch that? They're like, hey, you just fed us all food. Can you do another trick? And just to add some weight to the argument and request that we're asking you, could you do another trick? Because our fathers... You might not know this, Jesus, but our fathers in the Old Testament, yeah, they asked and they got bread from heaven. <laughs> so the bread you gave us from the kids' basket thing, really cool. But our fathers, bread from heaven. Just saying. Them, you know. You, us. <laughs> Could you do something else? It's amazing, right? Then verse 32, Jesus says to him, now, honestly, wouldn't you snap if you were Jesus? I mean, he's way too polite with the people around him. Check this out. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Here's Jesus' response. Um, really? 
You think Moses was like a superhero that produced bread for you? You think that was your father's? Because that's what they're talking about. Like he was the bread super, like bread man that gave you bread. You really think that? He's like, no, no, no. Moses didn't give you this. Are you kidding? And he's like, God is the bread giver, not Moses. That's basically what he says to them. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now catch what he just said. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now watch this. For the bread of God is he who comes down and gives life. In other words, that manna, that's what they called the bread that came down, that kind of faded. But he says the real bread is a he, not a loaf. Did you see that, church? The, zone in on this. Think about that. I didn't write that. God did. That the bread of God is a he. That's what Jesus says to them. Remember that bread you guys got in the desert? Yeah, that actually was a picture of a he, not physical food. That's what I was trying to do back in the desert in the Old Testament when you thought your fathers were so amazing. And Moses, do the thing with the bread again. And wave the, wave the stick, Moses. No, no, no. It was actually a picture of God sending me to you. The real life in this world is not making it famous, having an amazing job, building your career, having money. Did you know that the, the people with real power on planet Earth are not those people? It's not government officials. It's not famous people or business leaders. No, friends, the people with real power in this life are those who are closely connected and in relationship to the God of all power who gives eternal life. That's the real power on earth. Everybody wants to identify with power today. Have you noticed that? Everybody. In Canada, I don't even know if you know this. And I'm not trying to insult you. Help me if you've heard this. Who's heard of the Toronto Raptors? Be honest. Okay. All right. A few of you. A smattering of you. Well, the Toronto Raptors are an NBA team, and it's like Canadian NBA team. It's sort of like words that don't always go together, but anyway... They, you know, basketball's big event, always won by an American team. Well, this year, a Canadian team, the Toronto Raptors, went all the way and won the whole thing. Never mind 98% of their team were Americans, but listen, the Canadian, <laughs> the Canadian team won, yeah? And it's funny because as our team started, see, I said our team. Okay, I'm actually from Toronto. I know, I was born there. Okay, thanks, Mom. Uh, but I don't live anywhere near there now. But it's funny. But as they started doing good, here's what happened. More and more Canadians were all of a sudden what? Raptor fans. <laughs> right? You see people that you're like, you know, they're like, aren't you Russian? Oh, yeah, but I'm Russian-Canadian Raptor fan. I'm like, oh, okay. Right? And guys in your church are buying Raptor shirts, and they're wearing Raptor shirts to church. And I'm like, you don't support the Raptors. They're like, yeah, no, I do. They're like, I love the Rapture. I'm like, that's the Rapture, not Rapture. <laughs> Why do I bring this up? Because people love to identify and connect with power. People love to go, that's powerful, that's cool in the world right now, I'm with that. People love to take their identity and go, I'm a part of that, and that's cool, so that makes me cool. Have you noticed that? We love to do that. Our hashtags, even on social media, they're all about, you know, hey, yeah, man, I identify with that. What's that about? It's that we take something from that. Well, friends, the real power on earth are those who are identified and connected with the real power on earth, which is Jesus. 
Like, do the math. So what I'm telling you is this thing called the quiet time, the devotional life, your prayer time, your quiet, your times of prayer, that connects you with the greatest power source in life. And this life isn't the main event. It's short. It's a breath. <laughs> Bible says, then it's gone. So it affects how you spend the rest of eternity, how you tap into the real power, which is Jesus on earth. He is the real power. And so the enemy of your soul wants to push you away from that. Verse 34, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. These guys are classic. Oh, yeah, sure, Lord. Give me some of that. Sure. We'll take that. And verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Did you see that? Who's producing manna today? Jesus. He's like, you're looking at the manna giver. I am the bread of life. And here's what struck me about devotions years ago. I saw this, and I looked at this passage, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, Jesus is referring to Exodus 16, where in Exodus 16, Israel's wandering through the wilderness, and they're starving, and they're hungry, and they call out, and Moses gets up there, and they all attribute Moses as the bread giver, but God gave them Bread from heaven. Well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So I remember years ago going, wait a minute. If Jesus cross-referenced Exodus 16, and I read Exodus 16 and thought, well, it wasn't super gripping. It was like, okay, they got bread. But what if Exodus 16 is a commentary on John 6? And I remember the morning. Turn there, if you will, in your Bible. What to Exodus 16? What if Exodus 16 is actually a commentary or a parallel on the devotional life, and I believe it is, so I began to puzzle it out. Here's some things I found out about devotions using Exodus 16 as a cross-reference to John 6. Check it out. Exodus 16, verse 1. They journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? So let's say Exodus 16 is a commentary on the devotional life. Well, here's the first thing I notice. Verse 1 and 2. When you are in the wilderness of sin, when you are in the wilderness of sin, when you are not having communion with God, when you are not having a devotional time with God, you end up in sin, and guess what else happens? Verse 2, you grumble and complain. Do you know what I'm talking about? Isn't it amazing how you can have a time with Jesus in the morning, and all of a sudden, fresh perspective, fresh joy, you come out, maybe you pray the armor of God, that's what I do, and you are ready for battle, you are ready for life. But when you don't, isn't it incredible how the most annoying, simple, easy thing can set you off, right? You can like pull out of your driveway and someone cuts you off and you're like angry. Rage drivers, where are you at? Come on, rage, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're not in the spirit now. You're like, I'm gonna chase this guy, right? It can just set you off. You grumble and you complain. Here's what happens. If you don't put quiet time with the Lord in place, give it, it's just a matter of time. I think after a few days, my wife goes, uh, have you been spending time with Jesus? I'm like, well, you know, I've been busy and... Uh, my wife notices, right? After five days, my kids notice. After seven days, my church notices. It's not a good thing. You start grumbling and complaining. Everything's wrong in life. But check it. Have you spent time with the Lord? 
Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, now check this out, I will rain bread from heaven for you. I will rain it down and the people will go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Look, God doesn't want to just show up and give you a Bible study moment every morning who I want to teach you. No, he wants to pour out on your life. Did you know that? He wants to rain down on you. And, and he wants you to gather a quota every day because it's a test. It's a test of relationship with him. Verse 7. Now watch this. I'll go through these quickly. Verse 7, it says, And in the morning you'll see the glory of the Lord. Verse 8. In the morning, bread to the full. Verse 12b. In the morning you'll be filled, and you'll know I'm the Lord your God. And verse 13b. In the morning the dew lay all around the camp. Now, there's some of you in the room, you're morning people. And some of you in the room, you're just not morning people. Morning people, where's your hands up? Okay. These are the first people in church today. These were the first, these people got here early usually. Okay. Late people, where are you at? Night owls? Night owls, okay. And you, you're like, you know, we, the worship is a buffer for me to get it. No, it's not. Okay, but listen, I appreciate that. I'm a bit of a night owl. But I had to kind of train myself. Why? Because there's something about letting the Lord being the first one to write on your heart in the day. Not your cell phone. Not social media, not your work emails, but Jesus. And there's something about the morning. In fact, look what he says. Glory of the Lord. I want you to see the glory. I want you full. I want you filled. And you'll know that I'm the Lord your God in the morning. The, and he, then he says these great words in verse 13. The dew lay all around the camp. And he started to go, why tell us that? Who cares? Ooh, there was dew. Right? Now, dew is that, you know what that is, right? Like on the moss in the morning. Okay, I grew up in uh, Bournemouth and Guilford, and I remember we had like moss on the rock. You don't even have, where I'm in, in Canada, we don't have that, but I remember growing up. And it's like this, dew in the Bible is a picture of refreshment. There's a psalm, somewhere in the psalms, I think it's 133 or 138, says how good it is when brethren, that's brothers and sisters, dwell together like we're doing now in unity. It says it's oil over the beard of Aaron. It's like dew on Mount Hermon in the morning. Dew is the picture of refreshment. Wherever you see dew in the Bible, it is refreshment. And here's what he's saying right here. I don't want to just have you show up and do a Bible study. There's nothing wrong with doing a Bible study, but I want you refreshed by relationship with me. I want you to come tomorrow morning, church, Monday morning, take out a clean sheet of paper, let me be the first one to write on it, and be refreshed by my presence. That's different, isn't it, than just, I should read my Bible more. It's like, no, God wants to meet with you. He's excited to meet with you every day and to have you refreshed in his presence. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. There's nowhere else. There's nowhere else. I'm a diehard Football fan, almost said soccer, because in Canada it's called soccer, but I still secretly call it football. I'm a diehard football fan, forgive me. I have never supported the Canaries. Forgive me. I just, the mascot didn't seem fierce enough for me. But <laughs> it's like, the Canaries coming to peck you. I don't know, but. And growing up near Southampton, my dad and my granddad would take me to Southampton, so I became a Saints fan. I figure Saints, spiritual, so that's good. <laughs> my dad would let me support the Red Devils. Anyway, so go figure. But refreshment. You, know, you think of the most joy you can have like, in a game, your team scores, and you're like, ah. Isn't it funny how, okay, maybe you are reserved. <laughs> but isn't it funny how when you go to a sports game, nobody's really reserved? You know what I mean? 
pair like in a concert. People have lighters out. They're, they're worshiping. Of course they are. And when we get in church, we're like, okay, reserved. And God's like, no, wait a sec. This is the greatest thing on planet Earth today. There's nothing better than what we have. Did you hear me? There's no like, you know, oh, yeah, there's second level stuff. No, this is it. And if you don't experience that, you've got to ask the question, the enemy of their soul, how come he is preventing you from enjoying this awesome time with Jesus? That needs to be where your attack goes rather than that person you can't stand right now or that job or that. Just fight everything that comes against your time with the Lord. Now watch this, verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather according to each one's need. Why is that important? Because what you need is different than the person beside you. And yet, ironic, isn't it ironic how we compare devotions all the time? I met somebody, they're like guilty and burdened. They're like, I was reading that Martin Luther prayed five hours a day. I'm like, yeah, but do you know all the pressure he was under? I'd pray five hours a day if I was under that pressure, and so would you. You're probably not under that pressure. What kind of pressure you got there right now? And the guy was like, I just want a wife. I'm like, oh, that's some pressure. You should probably do two hours. But listen, <laughs> don't compare devotional life. Everyone gathers according to their need. If you have a rocking 15 minutes in the morning, don't let someone that prays two hours go, condemnation, only 15 minutes. Wow. No, you just own it. You come and get what you need because what you need is different from the person on your right and left. And don't take pride in what you have. That's not biblical. Every man has a different need, each person according to them. Okay, then he says, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Gentlemen, guys in the room, I just want to say this. In this verse in scripture, the men of the community would come out and they would gather the manna, not just for them, but for everyone in their house. Do you know what that means? If you're a husband, if you're a leader in your home, then you're a servant in your home, and you serve by bringing the bread that God gives you to everybody else back in your tent. Some guys are like, yeah, I struggle with devotions. Do you know, I just want to brag on the ladies for a second. I don't know why it is. Maybe it's this verse. But I have to say, sometimes I just think the women are just far more consistent at this. Men, can we admit this? It's just women are like, oh, yeah, I get up every morning. I pray. I'm like, okay, I've got to work on that. And guys are like, oh, yeah, Pastor Jay, man, I forgot again or whatever. Like, your wife does every morning, you know, and so we're not as consistent. That's what I notice. I could be wrong. But isn't it interesting? Here's why I think that is, because the enemy doesn't want guys to be able to take back manna to their own tent. But a real man of God shouldn't just do devotions for him. He should do it for everyone in his household. He should be able to go to his wife and go, here's what God showed me this morning. He should be able to go to his kids and go, hey, here's what God showed me. And so I have these family meetings with my kids, and we talk about what God showed me. And so I'm talking with my whole tent about what God gave me in the morning. And you need to do that too. Verse 21, jump down to 21. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole of Bible on the Bible on devotions. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. Now, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not catching it. Stay with me. John 15, Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, the word abide means to dwell or to hang out with. And he says in that passage, if we don't dwell or hang out with him, he goes on to say, we get withered. It's the same word in Exodus. We're out in the wilderness if we don't spend time. If we're not abiding, spending time with Jesus, we get withered. You can take other words from that. Dry, depressed, down and out. Got it? You don't spend time with Jesus, 
then don't look at all the other things that are playing into your life. I promise you that's the number one reason you're feeling what you're feeling. Because it's a byproduct, especially if you know Jesus. Then it's a byproduct because this is your source. It's like not giving you water for a month and being like, why do you look so down and out? And that's what Exodus says. Now when you combine that with these verses, you get this idea. Whatever you abide in, abides in you. Did you hear me? Whatever you hang out in, hangs out in you. The Bible says from the overflow of the heart, so the mouth speaks. If you want to know what someone's about, just talk to them, right? Talk to some guy in the back corner of the room, and I just was like, I'm in England. I want to talk about football with him, and I think I caused him to sin. But anyway, because um, clearly I, he was like, I'm trying to get over the addiction of soccer, and I'm like, sorry, I'm not helping you right now. But, you know, it's like it's just in me. I love sports and stats and things like that. So you, you, you're going to talk about whatever's inside of you. Whatever you abide in abides in you. It will hang out in you. If you're all about video games, that's what you talk about. If you're all about Facebook, that's what you talk about. If you're all about fashion or online social media or sports, that's what you abide in, and it abides in you. But let me add a concept for you. There's another concept, and it's this. Whatever you abide in first abides in most. What does that mean? Hope I don't mess up the worship people here. That means whatever. Tomorrow morning is a clean sheet of paper. You want to ask the question. Clean sheet of paper. You want to ask the question. Who's going to be the first one to write on this tomorrow? Who's going to be the first one to input in my life? And if you turn over and you grab your cell phone and you go straight to your work text, that's what's going to, you abide in that first, that's what you'll think about all through the day. If you turn over and you grab your laptop and you're all about your sports stats, Check it. Try Test me on this. That's what you'll think about predominantly through the day. You turn over and you grab your social media and you're all about your social media first thing in the morning. That's what you're going to think about all day. I wonder what that person posted. Who liked my picture? Who changed it? That's what you're going to think about. But if you wake up tomorrow morning, church, listen carefully. If you wake up and you let Jesus be the first to write on and you abide in him, then he will abide in first and most throughout your whole day. You'll start thinking about, oh, that verse God gave me. And I promise you, the greatest attack on your life, the greatest attack on your life is in your devotional life. It absolutely is. I'm close with this story. Um, my wife and I recently celebrated our 20th anniversary. Pretty awesome. Yeah, I sell, I'm pretty proud of her. Most people are proud of her for lasting 20 years with me. So, um, and so I did this really cool thing. Uh, about two years ago, her ring, she has a diamond, and the, the ring got loose. She knocked it somewhere. I don't know if you've had this, ladies, but it actually the diamond can get loose without falling out, so you have to take it to a jeweler. So I go to this jeweler in our city, and I walk in with this ring, and I say, hey, you know, it's a loose ring. And she goes, oh, I can fix that, no problem. But she goes, do you have a big anniversary or anything coming up soon? I said, well, actually, two years from now, I have a 20th anniversary coming up. She goes, listen, bring back the ring to me, and I'll give you a killer deal on upgrading it and making it just... Awesome. And I said to her, how do I get the ring out of her hand? I mean, have you thought this through? And she goes, I got it. She goes, about a year and a half from now, tell your wife, I got to get it brought back to the jeweler. Now, this is the only time as a pastor you're allowed to lie, by the way. It's with secrets for these kind of fun things, just so you know. Um, and so she's like, bring it back a year and a half from now. Tell your wife you need to get it. They have to look at it again a year and a half later and actually tighten the ring one more time. And it's actually true. You do have to go back in. So um, she actually knocked her ring again. She's like, it's loose again. About, about, but it was too early. It was nine months ago. 
It was supposed to be six months, or, you know, I needed to do it like three months before the anniversary date so I could surprise her with this redone ring, but she got it, this happened nine months ago. So nine months ago, she walks to me and she goes, here's my ring, it's loose again. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it in. I'll get it fixed for you. But I'm like, I have to get it fixed like in nine months, not now. So I stuck it in my top drawer, and then for like a, every month, she'd be like, did you take my ring in? I'm like, no, I've been busy. Uh, uh, I'll get to it. Again, lying, but it's all for the Lord, so it's good. So listen. <laughs> so, you know, three months go by. For three months before, she's getting angry now. She's like, I want my ring back. We're going on an anniversary trip to California, sweetheart. I want my ring so I can wear my ring. I'm tired of ringing, wearing this cheap one you got me in exchange. I said, okay, I'll take it in. So I go in, I go in, I tell the lady, I said, look, um, you know, we're ready. We've got this trip coming up. And uh, can you fix the ring up? And I'll take it on the trip with me. She goes, sure. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, some cool things happened in there. The lady upgraded it, like, way beyond what I thought for the same price. And it was just really cool. And, and then uh, I said, can you do me a favor? Can you email me that you won't get the ring done in time? Just build this thing, right? Just build it. Anybody here like this kind of stuff? I did. I was like, so I got this official email from the jeweler saying, Dear Mr. Turner, it's wedding season. We're, we regret to inform you, your ring won't be done until you get back from your anniversary trip. So I forwarded it to my wife, and then I added a line because it's kind of fun. I'm like, hey, sweetie, you know, I could pressure these guys if you want me to. She's way too kind. I knew she wouldn't go for that. She's like, oh, no, honey, it's wedding season. My ring's not more important than other people, you know, and their weddings and all that. I'm like, okay, sweetie, we'll just get it after. So she has no clue. So I go to collect this ring. Now, I have to meet this lady. It's a little unnerving. She says, look, you know, um, the ring's done. I'll bring it to where you are after hours. Can we meet in a parking lot somewhere? <laughs> okay. Let's meet in a parking lot. We go meet in a parking lot. She's wearing like a dark hat. She pulls in. Next to my car, we get out. And I'm like, I go like this, you know. <laughs> she puts the ring in it. And we both drive off. And I thought, if anyone from my church saw this, <laughs> right? I mean, like, I just saw her pastor do something dastardly. You know, I don't know. So, so, I, so here's the cool thing. <laughs> so we go through the customs in the airport because I've got to get it through customs because I got this dinner date planned for her that another pastor helped me set up this restaurant on the water and I'm going to get down on one knee and, and you know, and, and it's going to be this special moment, but I got to get through the TSA, the customer, the customs guys, right? And I'm nervous because if they open my bag because of the ring, my wife's right there, they're going to sing this ring that's supposed to be a surprise. So I write a note on a bag that says, please don't open this in front of my wife if you have to open it. It's for a surprise. And I'm praying like crazy because my bag gets open. Does anyone have this? You, my bag gets open every time we go through, and hers never gets open. Anybody? Does this happen to you? Is yours the bag no matter what? Like, baby, beep, beep. Oh, they pull it out. They're like, oh, you have a bottle of this in here. Sorry, we're going to have to throw this away. Anyone have that? That's me. So we go through, and honestly, her, she is the person. She's telling me before. She's like, you don't have anything that's over 100 milliliters, do you? Like, that's her personality. She's like, because they'll, they'll put your bag over. You won't be able to. Honestly, we go through, she's got two bags, I've got one bag, they're on the belt, and I'm praying. I'm like praying like, you know, Jedi prayers. Lord, these are not, you know, pray, I'm just praying these aren't the bags you're looking for, you know, just to let the, blind the eyes of the customs, customs people, not from anyone bad, but from my bags. 
And, and so the bags go through and there's like this pathway. Mine goes this way, which means you're not gonna get busted. Her, both her bags get flagged and go through. This never happens. They're like, beep, 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 beep. They're pulling stuff out, like cans of Coke. She doesn't even know where they came from. I'm like, it must be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, she's like, I didn't put that in there. I'm like, I did. No, but uh, it was just amazing. So we get to this restaurant. I get down on one knee and I say, sweetheart, try not to cry. I said, will you take me for another 20 years? And she said, can I have a week to think about it? And no, she said yes. She said yes. I'm writing this sermon out, and I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking, guys, this is what it's like. Jesus calls you his bride. I mean, he reserves the most intimate, beautiful, personal, relational connection ever. And he says... You're my bride. He is not less dedicated to you now than when he first proposed to you to accept his invitation. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know what your life is like right now. I don't know what season you're in. But Jesus is not less dedicated to you now. He is just as crazy about you, just as in love with you, just as passionate for you now as when he first came to you with his invitation. And he is fiercely, fiercely in love with you. And just like for me, it was so much a joy 20 years ago to get on one knee and propose to her. It was a greater joy because now we have more history to get down on one knee and go, will you take me for another 20 years? He is the groom. And each morning he invites you to meet with him to have intimacy with him, to have a relationship with him. He knows this is your ultimate fulfillment in life. And he knows the enemy of your soul is going to convince you every which way he can to not come and meet him at the table tomorrow morning. He knows that that alone is the focus of your enemy. The enemy of your soul, if he can get you away from the word of God and from Jesus then he wins. Don't let him win. There's a battle on for you, and it is worth it, because on the other side, it's not the perfect man. You're like, oh, if I just get the perfect man. No, there is no perfect man except Jesus. And he is. This is real. I think sometimes we forget as Christians, we're right. I'm not saying that to be mean, but man, I searched other religions, and there's only one truth, and it is true. When you find it, you're like, it's right. It's not arrogant. It's a fact. And when you find it, then you're switched on and you realize, what was I thinking? Tomorrow is a new day, church. Take out a clean sheet of paper and let Jesus write on it. You know if, I mean? you're, if you're here today and if you're in this place and for you, devotions have not been what they should be, either that or if you're in this place and you just feel convicted this morning by the Holy Spirit that you're not taking it as serious or you're missing the devotion aspect and you want to see the Lord just take you to a new season of time with him. Not just studying to get information, but intimacy that brings transformation. And if that's you and you say, man, I really, Joel, I just want to, hear from God afresh, 
and I just want to relate with Jesus afresh and that relationship that he invites me into. I'm ready for a new day. Then I just want to invite you right now. If that's you and you're in this place and you say, yep, that's me, then just stand wherever you are right now because I want to pray for you. I don't care if the whole room stands, but just stand if that's you and you say, I want a new lease of life and devotions in my prayer time, in my times of the word. No pride. Just put pride aside. I would, like I want to stand every day and go, Jesus, do a new thing in my life. I want more of you. And I want to give you more of me. And I need that, Lord. And, and I just confess right now that you, you deserve more. And you're there, Lord, and you're so faithful. And I'm so unfaithful. And I, I just come afresh today and say, Lord, would you separate me unto you more fully? And so again, if that's you, just stand where you are. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room, but particularly those who are standing right now in response to this, would you draw them closer? Would you draw them in? Would you bless their quiet times with Jesus, their devotion? You love them so much. And Lord, if there's anyone in this place that hasn't yet responded to your proposal, it's marked by something far more expensive than a diamond ring. It's marked by one who took all their sin, all our sin, my sin, and said, I'm going to put this on my shoulders and walk with a cross up a hill 2,000 years ago and be nailed to a tree and take all your sin, your shame, your suffering, all of it upon me. In your place, I'm going to bleed and die for you. I'm the bridegroom and no one's ever done this for you. Receive my love. Receive what I did on that cross for you. This is the evidence of my love. I did it for you. And so, Lord, pour out right now on people or break people's hearts for your love for them. Remove blockades or anything that's blocking them. And, Lord, from seasoned people in the faith who've been saved their whole life, maybe, to people that are brand new or people that are here just to...